I'm kind of a wannabe architect who had the great good fortune to discover early on that I really stink in architectural design and just managed to find myself being a structural engineer, which put me in the greatest place to work on with more architects on more beautiful buildings than I ever would have dreamed of if I'd become an architect. Yeah. It's just like I hit it out of the park. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Hey, welcome to Architecting. I'm Rebecca Wagner, here with host Adam. Hey, Adam, who's on the podcast today? Hey, today we have uh, we have some we have some heavy hitters. We've got some big guys. We got some uh, some interesting fellows on. Uh, we have Greg Kingsley and Brant Lanart of KLNA Engineers and Builders. Nice, some structural engineers. I know. Have you have you worked with KLNA, KLNA before? No, not personally. Hmm. I mean, I I've worked with them a few times, but not with with Greg or Brant. Um. But but from that and from just kind of general reputations, it seems like like they're really one of the 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 top shelf structural engineers in in the state. I'd say. Um, and there's, what do you think? There's there's nothing better than when you're working with a with a good open minded design focused structural engineers as collaborators, right? Yeah, they can make it fun. Yeah, really um, have the the possibility to really expand the, the architecture. Um, and, and these, these are, are those guys, I think very similar to Chris and Julian at, at Studio NYL, who we've interviewed before. Um, just, just structural engineers who are really interested in design and architects and, uh, just fun, fun guys to, to be around. Um, so, uh, I heard, I heard they listened to the show and, and was, uh, honored that they took me up on my invite to have them on. Um, and this is the first time that I've, I've met them before. And this is a, a very long episode, but it could have we could have talked much longer. Um, they've just got some great stories working with with a lot of fantastic architects. Uh, in fact, we were we were met inside of a, a Lake Flato building that they worked on um, on on DU's campus, uh, all all mass timber. Nice. Yeah, but just just very open and and funny and informative. Um, and uh yeah had had a great time cool looking forward to it yeah so like i said it's a long interview um but we had a bunch of of bonus stuff that we we talked about and we did we kind of all cut it together and and put it in after the credits but uh yeah check it out and you know i feel i feel sort of uh bad to these guys as well like we we recorded this interview almost uh three months ago and and i'm just now getting it out and it was supposed to go out supposed to go out and what what got in the way um the holidays life two kids a job yeah 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 it, it still just stressed me out that i wasn't getting this out it's okay no one's waited with bated breath for this we're gonna get so many emails <laughs> saying you're wrong <laughs> it's so dumb i do think i have to think oh they they everybody's checking their their uh podcast in- inbox uh their their feed every uh every wednesday waiting for this to hit but uh i know that's not true so i think it's i think it's just a good lesson in especially within architecture how easy it is to get ramped up and get stressed and and uh obviously there's deadlines that we have to hit but uh in learning how to judge 
what's important or necessary versus what is okay and how to live life with yeah what's enough what's, what's enough what's sufficient what's priorities yeah. yeah it's tough yeah so anyway this is really late uh sorry greg and brant but here it is i'm excited to get it out in the world enjoy but first here's a few messages from our sponsors Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. And now back to the show. So yeah, so where so where are we at? What building are we at? And this is the Burwell Center for Career Achievement. If I got, got that right. Yeah. Um, Lake Flato. Lake Flato was the design architect. Um, Ryan Yaden was the was the lead, and then um, the local architect was Shears Eckens Rockmore. Okay. Yeah. Dan Craig worked with us. Oh yeah. Um, I always like saying his name like. It yeah. sounds like I know somebody really famous. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Dan Craig. I worked yeah. with Daniel Craig on this. Yeah. And, uh, I was like on an AIA committee with him, and and he would always just call in, and his his Zoom always said Daniel Craig Dan on Craig, it. And yeah. It wasn't even Dan Craig, but yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, so when did you start? When when did you start this one? Um, well, I mean, it was it was actually moved along pretty well. I think we started it somewhere in you know twenty. 17 range so huh. about a year of design and a couple of years of construction have Went you worked with fast. have you worked with lake plato much yeah yeah, yeah yeah we've done a handful of projects at lake plato we really we we really aligned with those guys yeah um they're it's they're probably, probably hard group. not to right yeah yeah, yeah. they're phenomenal they're, yeah they're Their phenomenal. Work is really good i think there's a guy we've done a lot of work with um carney logan burke up in jackson oh Hall, yeah and, and um one of the one of their guys, uh, Brian Como, moved down to you know moved to Texas and joined up with Lake Flato, and he sort of was our our door, you know, our mm. invitation to the door, and so we've got a few a few different connections there now. So we have a handful going right now. Is this is this a full wood structure? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything timber, everything yeah. in here is 100 percent timber structure. Mass timber. Mass timber structure. Yeah. Nice. These yeah. seem a little large. <laughs> Just from, from a structural engineer, wow! I've never, Just, never know, heard that before. Yeah. He's, he's trying to get the column spacing. Yeah. Your column spacing is really, really tight. He's, he's trying to get a rise out. <laughs> it looks like it looks nicely structured. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Adam. Uh, that's so, funny. Um, oh. Yeah. No. Actually, this is this is sort of our second. Uh, no. Um, I don't know. We've we've done a couple of dozen mass timber buildings at this point, mm. but um, the biggest ones locally are, are Plat 15 and this one, and then uh, a place called the Boulder Lo Loading Dock that we call Boulder Loading Dock in Boulder um, that a tech company occupies. Mm. There, those are sort of the, the biggest commercial ones, and we have various and sundry different ones. But this is an important one for us on the campus, and they love it. They really love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think it just. From the exterior, especially, it does a good job of kind of merging the old styles with something sort of different and, and, and new. And then, um, yeah, just the 
working environment in here seems nice, but I haven't spent much time on this campus, but my, my sister almost went to law school here last year and we were pushing really hard and mm. got to tour the campus and then she went to Rhode Island instead and lost, last thought on that babysitter. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, on my sister, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. you sis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the, 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 the building on Platt street is by Oz and mm -hmm. then who did who designed the other one is also Oz. Oh, okay. Uh, same same group. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually the same developer as well, right? Oh, they, nice. they kind of practiced on the Boulder building to see if they liked this mass timber thing, and totally worked for them. And so they did that one, and then they're also working with us, and they got the band back together to do another one that's nearby. Mm. I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about or not. But let's just say it worked you, out for him. Yeah. You can say anything. We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, cut, yeah, it, we'll yeah. cut it out, I promise. Yeah, 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 yeah. not bad. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were discussing with our kind of DEI group about whether Greg could drop the F-bomb here, you know, and this one. And they're like, well, either way, it's okay, because if he does, then he feels edgy, and if he doesn't, he looks professional. <laughs> exactly, you know. You, you Can't go wrong. Yeah, but you're you relatable or you're professional? Yeah. Right? You know, right? Yeah. And a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, do you get that explicit sticker slapped on there? Get more listeners. listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, let's Good. continue that, making you answer a question of of who are you? If you yet, do you practice that? You go first. That horrible question. That is a horrible question. Yeah, because really um, my first answer was that uh, you know I'm just a sack of uh, biological material on a ball of dirt flying around a fiery ball, you know, running away from the center of the universe, right? Yeah, I like it. Mm -hmm. All right. But yeah, ultimately, yeah. I, I came down to that I uh, I work, I build buildings, I raise a family, and I play tennis a lot. Mm. That pretty much sums me up in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, uh, for me, I always think, you know, I, I did think about, I'm a big fan of your podcast, so I Heard everybody struggle with this question. My my answer is really that I'm kind of a wannabe architect who had the great good fortune to discover early on that I really stink at designing, you know, at architectural design, um, and just managed to find myself being a structural engineer, which put me in the greatest place to work on with more architects on more beautiful buildings than I ever would have dreamed of if I'd become an architect. Yeah, it's just like I hit it out of the park. Yeah, I, I'm. I get like jealous of you guys with with that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's you, true. You, you figured it out. Yeah, I yeah. totally figured it out. I snowed you guys. Right? <laughs> and and those are just the best. You guys are just the best engineers to work with. The wannabe architects, you know. Yeah. Don't say no all the time. And, uh. Well, the the um, I've had several ar architects tell me that just the professions are. Um, Simpatico, the Italian word, which is we just you know they're they're tightly aligned, right? Yeah. One touches the other, and we, um, I mean, in a really kind of um, you know intimate, close way. Like every every move we make affects every move you make. It's not like a, a layer that you're adding on. So we're naturally <coughs> naturally aligned. Yeah. Well, and, and the the thing I think is really exciting about uh, working together is if we're on our game, we're actually you know not just um, helping the architect achieve their vision. We're actually, because we know more about it than they do, we're giving them new options that they maybe didn't think of before Yeah. for doing something, maybe achieving the goal in a better way or a unique way. Because, you know, theoretically, we're the experts on, you know, the Newtonian laws and that kind of stuff. 
And uh, and so when we're doing great, we're actually opening uh, opening minds and opening options. Right. Yeah. That's that's the best when you when you get that relationship mm-hmm. and not just okay yeah like uh, let's do this okay yeah yeah do this and then. And then you come back and like, well, couldn't we have done it this way? Oh yeah, you can do it that way too. Well, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, uh, but yeah. it was one of the first jobs I, I was up with John Carney, who's a um, CNCLV up in Jackson Hole, 25 almost 30 years ago. I w- went up there to work on a project with him, and uh, that was in Evergreen actually. So uh, that's why I was traveling up there, and it dawned on him that their structural consultant should know more about structures than they, than he does, right? And so he asked if I'd be willing to fly up there every so often and work on their projects. Uh, and it also dawned on me that I should also know more about structures than the architect. And so a light bulb went off, you know, that uh, our value is in being a trusted advisor and a consultant and, a, you know, an aid to the design process, not a, not a checkbox or a, a requirement, you know. Yeah. And... That's really informed our work over the years. Is uh, you know we are seen as a as a force behind the project, not a hindrance to it. Mm-hmm. Actually, to, to spring off of that, um, so our very first client was John Carney. Really. And John Carney called me last week. You know, I'm driving, and I always answer the phone when it's John Carney. Um, and he, the the nature of his uh, call was. I'm working on a house, and I just don't want to do the same thing over again. I need, I need some fresh ideas. I need some fresh energy. Like, go for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, so that that was really the nature of the call, and it's just quite an honor to have an architect tell you, let a rip, make have, make this something better than what we've done. Right. right. So. And, and it's really a, a thing to you guys, right? I mean, and to to to. Yeah, get to that trusted point of, yeah. of of being trusted and having a relationship and mm-hmm. like where you're continually striving and yeah, super enjoyable too. Like really brings right. a lot of satisfaction. Um, we you know. we tell a, a young engineers a lot that I know you learned how to do calculations, right? Mm-hmm. But your relationship building now, not just because that's a good way to you know uh, connect to the next job, but it's because that's where a lot of the work enjoyment comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, working with, we have a million John Carney stories. We don't want to make the whole thing about John, John Carney, but I mean, you know, we, Brant and I would go up there together and, and we'd end up at John's house for dinner, right? And, and Brant would be running around in his socks playing sock hockey with his, you know, with his kid, you know, and I'd be helping cooking dinner. And then after dinner, the, the trace paper would come out and we'd just start, you know, start getting to work and, and it's a, and you watch those kids grow up and get married mm-hmm. and, you know, it's a, it's a lifetime thing. It's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, you, you talked about the, the sort of like first client there, but let's mm-hmm. talk, uh, kind of further back. So Brant, where, where did you, where did you grow up? Where do you kind of come from? You know, I grew up in, uh, Colorado Springs in Black Forest. Mm-hmm. Oh really? Uh, yeah. And, uh, and actually, when I was in, uh, I, I went to CU for engineering because that's what the aptitude test in high school said I should go into. So I went into electrical engineering, and and that just wasn't for me. You couldn't see anything. You couldn't put your hands on things. And so I went into structures pretty quickly. And the other reason for that was my best friend growing up 
uh, knew from the get-go that he wanted to be an architect. Mm. And, uh, I mean, six, seven years old. John Carney. No. no. His, uh, his name is Hansel Bauman. He was the... Sounds like an architect uh, name. Yeah, great name. Bauman means build in German. Oh, there you go. And uh, he uh, recently was the campus architect at Gallaudet in Washington, D.C. He lives in Washington, mm. D.C. now. But anyway, when we were in uh, freshman in uh, college, he had a contact with a builder in Monument, and we would design houses for this builder because uh, uh, he did, you know, he would build these houses. And so I got into uh, the design of these houses and immediately saw that there was talent involved and that I didn't have it. And so uh, felt like my contribution to the industry was with structures and not architecture. But one of our uh, first projects that we did together with, with Greg, Greg was, and I went to college together and uh, we did an office building in Monument that is so ugly. We call it the office building. <laughs> as, uh, they're, as they're covering the yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Greg and um, another graduate student who had a license uh, did the structure for it. So this would have been back in 1982 or so, yeah. 83. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, Building's still there. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. I'm, go- I'm going no. there tomorrow. My, my in-laws live in Black Forest. We go oh, yeah. Time. That's, yeah. 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 yeah it's a great place growing up. Um, and then uh, I went to CU, came out of CU. The economy was terrible. And went to California, and uh, and part of the unique founding of our company actually is that the four main founders came from completely different backgrounds. So mm. I I really came from a forensic engineering background. I mm. worked for Failure Analysis Associates, which was the largest forensic engineer in the country at the time. Uh, Greg came out of academia as a PhD. He was going to go into academia, and uh, somehow I talked him out of it. Uh, showed him pictures of uh, a truss that Harry Teague was designing. And he showed him pictures of real things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, our, our championship engineer founder was a guy named Greg Luth. He's the L in K1A. And uh, he came out of uh, the, the largest structural engineer in the, in the country at the time was a firm called Gilliam and Associates. Mm-hmm. And they were the engineers of record on the higher regency when it, uh, had the collapse mm-hmm. and uh, they spun off the Tabor Center from that. He was a young engineer at the time and they spun off the Tabor Center and he came to Colorado to do the Tabor Center. I met him in California at Failure Analysis Associates when I was moving back because I was having children in the 90s. He said, hey, do you want to you want to start something up? We could start something together. I know two architects in, in the Rocky Mountains. I know John Carney. And I know Harry T. And so I said, yeah, sure, I'll try that. You know, it's a good, uh, two good guys. Those were our pretty good guys. Yeah, two first guys. Guy. Yeah. And so I was working, you know, multiple jobs out here, like, you know, trying to start a firm. Mm. It's not the easiest. And uh, Greg had come back after his PhD and was working for a, a consulting firm in Boulder. And I kept showing him pictures of what I was working on because I knew that he was not cut out for academia, that he should be designing buildings. And uh, sure enough, uh, after a few months uh, and some grappa. I folded, folded, yes. Some grappa. uh, He came over. We had a big, huge pay cut to uh, do consulting engineering. And and then uh, our fourth founder is a guy named Doug Rutledge who actually uh, ran a, a Rutledge Steel, which was a large steel fabricating uh, company in 
Loveland. Huh. So our founders were a consulting engineer, a fabricator, a, a academic, and a forensic engineer. And so we we approached the whole thing from a completely different perspective, which was, you know, these different perspectives. Research, um, how do things actually fail? It's not because things are too small. That's not why things fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, they usually fail because they're not thought of at all. And uh, then the, the manufacturing part with Doug Rutledge, and uh, and then Greg Luth was a championship structural, is still is a championship structural engineer, and so uh, we started the firm with the idea of doing construction and design at the same time, and that's really been uh, a transformational uh, mindset for us that we are uh, not only designing but we're also building, and uh, and currently we have about 120 people and. 30 of them are involved with uh, design build of steel structures. Uh, the other 80 of us are, are consulting structural engineers, engineer of record kind of stuff. And um, it's now a kind of accepted. When we first started, no one had heard of it. And yeah. we had a hard time uh, doing any of it because everyone was like, why would I have the engineer build the steel structure? That you got, you know, Which is a great question. <laughs> it's not, not an unfair question. I mean... Who knows it better than the guys that are drawing it? Well, Doug Rutledge knows it better. Right. So he, he was really the impetus. And so, you know, we currently, for example, have a steel detail. Interesting, detailing. though, I'll just jump in, though, that, that Doug was trained as a structural engineer. Oh, for sure. And so he went to school as a structural engineer, but he elected not to get a license because he thought that would be a, it, that would get in the way. It would be a liability as a steel fabricator, hmm. right? You know, and I think he was right about that, hmm. right? And so all of us were trained as structural engineers. We just went four different directions, right? Totally. Until we came back together. Yeah, yeah so what was that like that, I mean, getting to get, I, I want to get Greg's side of the story, see if it matches first, but like getting, <laughs> getting back to the, the sort of foundation of the firm, you know, what what was that sort of time period, you know, like did you start spearheading at Brandt and like getting some of the other guys together and you got Greg on and like, was that, was that a two-year period, four-year period that you were talking, or did it all move pretty fast and then really fast? Well, the the uh, let me start with the beginning, and then Greg can jump in when he jumps in. Which is that when I moved back to Colorado, Greg Luth and I had a deal. Uh, since we're in the nuts and bolts of this, uh, we had a deal that we would do consulting as our firm, and uh, half the money we made would go into the bank, and the other half we'd get a keep as because we needed to live yeah and once we got to thirty-five thousand dollars, this was 1994 then we'd open an office and, and he was in california so he opened an office in california and i opened one in uh golden and so it took about a year of starting saying okay we're going to start something we did this half and half thing and uh in october of 1994 i had my twenty-five thousand, and we opened a small office in golden and that's when I really started leaning on Greg to mm. come join us. Because mm-hmm. before that, it was a nightmare of long hours and long hours. Yeah. And what was that like? I mean, so you were essentially working remotely back in 1994. Were you working? Yeah. He was working in his house. And I, but, I, I will share a memory from my point yeah, of view yeah. of Grant working in his house. So this is the day where, I mean, computers were actually pretty old school back right. then, right? There were towers that there was no such thing as a laptop, right? And the tower sat on the on the ground. And he'd be talking to me 
either about an engineering problem. I didn't work for him, but he'd call me up and he's, he was just baiting me, right, with, with stuff. And and then there'd be this, you'd hear a door open and close, and then you would hear kids scream. The son was like like one and a half or two, right? You know, it's two. And you'd hear this bum, 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 the stairs, and Brandon would be like, wait, 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 I gotta, I gotta hang on, I gotta, I gotta save all my drawings. Because Phil loved to run in and push the reset uh, button because yeah. it had a red light by it. And, and Remember the reset button? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So there was you just there. saved it to the cloud. Like, yeah. No problem. No yeah, problem yeah, right. yeah, yeah, no cloud. Yeah. Um, so it, it was uh, that part was difficult. Working out of the house was not was not fun. I mean, I, that, I'm still a, a PTSD about remote working from that experience. You know, but even like working from the house, but but working with somebody across the country, like were you were you guys dialed in? You know, were you talking every day and working on the same projects, or was it pretty kind of separated? Uh, we were working on different projects, but were essentially bailing each other out and so there was a lot of train uh train a lot of plane travel train wrecks yeah, yeah train wrecks yeah. and plane travel <laughs> and um um and then we had this new invention called the fax yeah nice. which opened our minds to how we could communicate with each other yeah and our fax was one of those old uh uh, thermal imaging faxes huh. so the it would come out in a roll and you'd stretch it out to flatten it out and you'd accidentally put it in the sun and it would turn completely black and so you'd have to call back and say please send me that fax again because I left the it sun in the sun erased it yeah so oh, that's funny so now alright great yeah so now where are you coming from dial back so I grew up in a navy family hmm. and so back in, well I think they still make you move a lot but we moved a lot, right? Every couple of years, pretty much, or every year for a while. Um, so I lived up and down the East Coast, and pretty much every Navy town there is. Hmm. Um, you know, Washington, D.C., where I was born, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, Mobile, Alabama, Newport, Rhode Island, um, and then a brief stint in California, where we lived in Monterey and Carmel. And my um, ended up in Virginia Beach, where I went to high school. Mm -hmm. But I'd lived in some really, really nice places like Carmel and and um, and Newport, where great architecture abound, and uh, Virginia Beach, where it absolutely does not. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was really there was a really clear thing to me how important architectural mm -hmm. environment was to at least my happiness and my understanding of the world. Yeah. And so I was just like. A, I have to be in a beautiful place, and B, and, and I have to create beautiful things. And and I had been told since I was a kid, oh, you're going to be an architect someday, right? Because huh. I played with Legos, right? And yeah. and um, back when Legos, there was bricks and doors and windows. Those were your choices, right? right? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> now Legos come in like a two foot size one piece. That yeah, yeah. Everything, right? Yeah. Right, right. There was there was no uh, Star Wars paraphernalia right. or anything like that. And it was pretty much pure imagination. Um, and pretty rectilinear for that matter. Um, but anyway, uh, so then um, I, I knew somewhere along the line, my brother who went to Penn State said, hey, there's this great, you're good in math, there's this great program called architectural engineering. You can mm -hmm. do both, right? I was like, oh, that's what I want to be. So um, I applied to only places that had architectural engineering and ended up choosing CU in Boulder mm -hmm. instead of Penn State um, and came out here to be an architectural engineer and that's what I got my undergrad in. And um, like when I first came over the hill into Boulder, I was just like, 
mom, dad, I hope you like this trip because I am never leaving this place. And it's pretty much true. I, I was going to ask you, like, how did you, how did you land here? But yeah, yeah, that, that that'll it. do it. Yeah. They drove me out <laughs> multiple days and I was just like, okay, I've just arrived in heaven and I never changed my mind. Right. So, yeah. um, that was, yeah, that was really, um, um, that was pretty formative. Um, and then, um, interesting, the architectural engineering program had a really nice, um, you know, uh, interleaving with uh, what was then environmental design in that in that school, and so we had to take some design studios and architectural history and um, <laughs> tangent. We took architectural history from a guy that completely faked his credentials. He lied his way into the position. He had no credentials whatsoever, but he taught an excellent class in architecture. Oh, yeah. He was really good, <laughs> but he ended up getting booted out. He had no. He, no just, he found a, a, yeah. a textbook one day and read it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but then there was also a design studio, which is where I where I learned definitively that I had no talent. Right. You know, because mm. I mean, with at least with a, a clean sheet of paper, there was nothing there. Mm. And as it happened, right around that time, the guy that lived next door to me in the dorm was this guy named Hansel Bauman, whose name you might have heard there before. There you go, yeah, right? famous. So, yeah. yeah, right, so <laughs> a connection was made, right? You know, And also, Hansel is a, a person of enormous talent, right? So he was a really inspirational character, even as a really young young person. Hmm. Um, and so, so then I kind of sunk my teeth into engineering, and then, um, uh, I got a part-time job at this small consulting firm in Boulder, um, and for uh, uh, you know for summers, in a time when it was really really hard to find work, hmm. I went to every structural engineering firm, you know, including SOM in downtown Denver, trying to find an internship. Couldn't find anything, and these guys looked like they were the weakest, and I could. <laughs> pummel them into giving me a job so I just nagged and nagged you and just nagged. took after that your history professor yeah <laughs> had this amazing resume yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, finally I just I, I annoyed them to the point of they're like all right all right you can work there geez you know we'll make up something for you to do and um and they convinced me that I really needed to go on and get a master's degree hmm. and um so I did that and I had gone through all the school at the same time with Brant but we were like planets orbiting or moons or different moons on a planet. We didn't really interact that much. Just orbiting around Hans. Yeah, Hansel, yeah. Hansel, yeah. yeah. I was. Hansel. Yeah. I was hanging out at the environmental design school because it was way more fun than the engineering school. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but then we became really close friends in grad school. As we, and it was like a two-year program. Hmm. And we were there at a time with there was just a bunch of remarkable, brilliant students that were there. So the bar suddenly seemed really high you're like oh you have to be this smart to be a structural engineer mm. you know we both we worked it and we also had a really really good time you know we went to hang out in Brant's cabin that was down in divide his family's cabin and uh we, it was a we made a great adventure out of it and so that's when um then we graduated from there and that's when the economy was so you know sort of uh horrific i kept working at that little firm in, in boulder in fact, um, he cajoled them into hiring me <laughs> with a master's degree at seven bucks an hour oh, to like do nice. some research for him or something like yeah, you that. Were, you were, he was like helping to catalog their library of masonry <laughs> research books and do, you know, sweep up the shop. Happy to have yeah, right, yeah. And we yeah. were really grateful for it. Yeah. But, um, and then, you know, uh, so then um, I worked there until 1989 and then. Uh, they kept trying to talk me into getting a PhD, and I wasn't really interested. Hmm. What was that? Um, what was that company? Atkinson Nolan Associates. Okay. 
So they they're still a small company. They're still they still exist. They're there, um, and uh, uh, still experts in, they, masonry. In, in masonry, right? And that's what I started out to be. I, I did research for NSF, and that's where the academic thing kicked in. And I um, I was working on a bunch of little projects. Jim Nolan was then coordinating a project between the U.S. and Japan on seismic design and masonry buildings, and it was going to be a six-year-long program. And it mm. started with testing little things, bricks and mortar, and then little assemblies and bigger things and walls. And, and it was coordinated with universities all around the country. And I got to know all the people in all the universities that were doing this work. And I had done the first project. And the culminating project came up, which was a five-story full-scale test on a full-scale building subjected to earthquake loads at a new lab that had just been built for this test hmm. at UC San Diego. And finally, I was like, well, that looks like fun. So I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go. Right. Um, it was for me, it was the, the, the thing was I didn't want to get a PhD as my, for the way, the reason my boss wanted me to, which was, it was the union card to get, um, NSF funding. Uh, right? Yeah. Um, I was wondering what, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so that was sort of the business model, right? He's like, you need a union card to be able to run this business, right? Someday. <laughs> and, um, uh, but I wanted to do it because I wanted to do it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I wanted the experience of doing that thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, UC San Diego is just an amazing, amazing place. Um, and really, really smart, brilliant, you know, um, worldwide engineers that were there. Uh, Nigel Priestley uh, was, was my hero. He's a, a brilliant New Zealand uh, earthquake engineer. And, um, and I met all these great people including a guy that had been visiting from, from Italy, who was a brilliant professor from there. And he said, Gregorio, when you are finished here, come to Italy, we will pay you something. And so I- Eight dollars an hour. Yeah, 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 pretty, pretty much actually. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was pretty much like that, but it was, it was like survival, you yeah. know, wages. But I, so I did a postdoc work in, in, in Italy. Huh. And then um, working on the same sort of actually, it was a it was a full scale two story test of an unreinforced masonry building. Mm -hmm. So it was modeling a historic building. So I generated a lot of uh, experimental work on large full scale tests. Um, so that was cool. And again, met all these wonderful people, uh, learned a little bit of Italian, learned mostly how to swear in Italian. And then um, where were you at? And Pavia. Uh, uh, yeah. it's, it's just uh, south of Milan, north of Genoa. The, is that the oldest university? In it is. The world? Oh, yeah. Listen to you. Wow. Yeah. Actually, I think I, I think they fight over with Bologna. Yeah, which yeah that sounds That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was. And uh, again, that one might, I was only there for like six months, but it mm. might've been the most intense, wonderful six months of my life. Um, and it was, uh, then it came back with the idea that I would take over the, this firm. I can, you know, become the, you know, I was the chosen guy. And then we had just a really wild year. It was 1994 and Jim Nolan, I just, I arrived in September and in December, Jim up and died. Just, Whoa. he had a, wow. had a, um, pulmonary embolism and mm. you know it was just kind of out of nowhere and and suddenly he was gone in his 50s and or 60s, or 60s yeah. in his 60s and then his partner hank atkinson who was the only other you know guy there passed away that july okay? wow and um all the so all this thing that i was supposed to be taking over suddenly was falling apart all around me mm. um there was one other guy there mike Schuler, and the two of us were had been going to take it over and and um 
I decided because Brant was, in, you know, the simultaneously the parallel stories. Brant's like, come over here, look at this, look at this beautiful, look at this trust, like, yeah, look, look at this trust, trust, right? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, let me introduce the T. Is this cool or yeah. what? Right? And, then, and and you forgot to yeah. mention that you also brought a couple of cases of grappa back. From, oh, indeed. From the, uh, ah, yeah. and that was the lubricant. That, well, that, I. I, does lubricate things. I did. I did have to live in his house, right? You know, I didn't have to, but I, I didn't have any place to live, right? And I came back to Italy, and he lived in Arvada somewhere, and he said, "Yeah, you can sleep in my basement." I ended up being there a couple of, I don't know, months, a couple of months or something <laughs> like that, and I had brought back like I don't know, eight bottles of grappa because I loved really? grappa. Oh yeah, and. It had just come clinking with me off the airplane. Anything to, you know, to declare? <laughs> no, no, don't worry no, about it. It's my yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and my experience with grappa was that everyone thought it tasted like kerosene and they hated it and yeah. I loved it. And I, at one point, they had, Brant and his wife Lori had been so nice to me. I thought I should be kind and say, would you like to try my grappa? <laughs> You know, and it's going to be such a waste because they're going to spit it out. They right. don't like it, and I will have ruined. I've lost two glorious glasses of grappa. The worst thing in the world happened. They, they liked it. it. <laughs> so my whole store <laughs> that was going to last me years was gone. They figured, they figured out how to turn your rent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it lasted your stay. No, it didn't. <laughs> it was it was gone inside uh, before I left their house. Hmm. Right. So <laughs> we had a good we had a good time, but anyway, so I made the the transition from from the Boulder firm, uh, which was an enormous change, right? Because my whole path from sort of to research academia, eggheadedness, and Brent was like, "Are you tired of writing about buildings? Do you mm-hmm. want to build one?" And that you know the trust that he mentions from Harry was is key. It's one of the first things he's ever worked on, right? Yeah, and he took so long to design this trust, right? It's a PhD thesis yeah. on a, a statically determinant trust. What do you want? I mean, I took forever. <laughs> Still have it on your I, wall. I, I did. I poured my heart into wow. it, right? You know, and because it was one of those things, the fax machine had yielded a sketch from Harry, just a hand sketch. This is kind of what I wanted to look like, right? And so I went after it. And then I don't remember where it was built, but it was locally. And it was local in Denver or whatever the place was. Oh, where right? it was manufactured. Where it was manufactured. Yeah, it was for the Aspen Institute for Physics, but yeah. it, was, it was manufactured in Denver. In Denver. And Brent took me out um, to look at it being uh, manufactured. And th- that was the moment. That's why I still, I, we had, there was no uh, phones back then. We had film. You might, mm. you might have heard of it. Mm. Um, and we would take, and to get the whole picture of the truss, I had to take like eight pictures over the whole length of the truss. And I taped them together and put them on my wall. And I still have it um, because that was the moment when I was just like, oh, my God, it looks just like I drew it. Yeah. You know, and, it, and the fabricators were like, what did you think it was going to look like? <laughs> you know, right. No, it's real. Yeah, yeah, Don't exactly. you understand? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we know we do this all day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I, was, get, I get it. Yeah, yeah. It was a big deal. The other part of the trust was Harry's idea was that he wanted to show the force flow through the truss with uh, the way the connections were designed, but also he wanted all the member sizes to be exactly the size for the force in it. So that uh-huh. they get bigger where the forces are larger and they get smaller where they're smaller. Because he wanted the physicists who are you know, thinking about really out there stuff to, while they're bored in a lecture, to look up at the ceiling and say, well, why is that one bigger than that one? What's yeah. that about? What's this going on? You know? And so that's where we also connected with this idea of 
working as a partner with the architect to achieve something more that either one of us could achieve uh, mm -hmm. separately. Yeah. Did you throw in any any like slightly fatter members just to mess with them? And like, what? <laughs> we did one be? Oh, oh, that's a great idea. idea. We did not. We did not. That's a great idea. Level, yeah. I was too, we yeah, I was today, too naive. Sure. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's a whole different level. That yeah. would happen today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good thinking. Put a big fat one right in there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what what are some of those other relationships with architects? So I mean, well, it's okay. So you had, let's start. So the firm you had, you have four of you. You had like pretty diverse kind of backgrounds, and 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 sort of like built for a large firm. It seemed like like from the kind of foundations. Yeah. Did things? How long did it take for for you to all kind of grow into those roles? You know, those like bigger firm roles versus all of you, you know, drawing each trust yourself and having no employees and. It it took time. two decades. To yeah. Seriously, I, like because of the horsepower of Greg Luth and Doug Rutledge, especially, we got involved in you know one of the first projects Greg worked on was uh, a sign in Las Vegas. The Hilton sign in Las Vegas had collapsed in a windstorm, hmm. had folded over, and the, the joke there is that the people who saw it fall over in the windstorm thought it was like a a ride and that it would pop back up, you know, and, and do it again the next day. Right? Waiting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, so the project came in through the old firm failure analysis because it was a uh, failure analysis. And uh, in that project, we got the design for redesigning the new sign. And because they didn't want to be without a sign, the new sign was straddling the old sign hmm. and had to be built around the old sign. And we're talking the the new sign was 270 feet tall, so a 20-story building. And the old sign was about 100 feet tall. And 100 feet. The old one, well, what was left of it, it was 360 feet tall. Wow. Um, wow. And we yeah, had designed one that was 360 feet tall as well. And they decided that they couldn't afford it and it cost too much because... Whatever. It wasn't going to fall down. Well, it was, we used to joke about it because <laughs> yeah. someone decided that $16 million was too much to pay for a sign. But twelve million was okay, right? And so we just started hacking off stories until we got down to twelve million. You know, and that's it's it's the ugliest project and one of the largest that we've ever worked on. It's enormous, but I don't ever tell anybody. No. Except the whole world now that we've been on right. the podcast. Yeah. yeah. And another project we did about that same time was if you've ever driven on I eighty through Nebraska toward Omaha, there's a monument, archway monument there. Up in Kearney, Nebraska, it's called the Great Platte River Road Archway Monument, and it's a, a monument or museum to the fact that so many people traveled through there, the Western Migration. Uh, the first Transcontinental Highway goes through there, the Transcontinental Railroad goes right there. Um, I-80 is the most traveled east-west interstate. Uh, so Ironically, nobody stopped there. No. No, I don't. I personally haven't even yeah, been it, in. I haven't it, been in since it's been. Finished. But I mean, the pioneers didn't stop there either. No, right? they just kept going. It's a monument just, passing through right. Nebraska. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, we yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so we, the the three hundred foot span bridge was actually built in the cornfield next to the highway, and then one evening, and we actually filled a bus with our thirty employees and drove up there for the evening for the overnight. They put it on some movers and closed the highway for six hours and drove it across very slowly, set it on its abutments, reopened the highway. And 
you know, we're three years into our company at this point, right? Mm-hmm. So we yeah. were doing these kind of, yeah. uh, you know, what I would call big league projects. Right. And the thing about big league projects is you don't have to do like 12 of them to mm-hmm. really get it. You mm-hmm. need to do one or two of them and there you got it. You understand what it takes to do that kind of project. Yeah. So we were lucked out. Well, we lucked out in the sense that we we got something that most people starting out in a firm don't get, which was, first of all, we we got these enormous projects. There was like three or four things, you know, that were of that size that happened really early on that we had no business doing, (laughs) right, you know. But we did them. Again, learning from yeah. that history professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> I had never, tell you I, I had never <laughs> seen that thread going through, but <laughs> now you've, you've brought it to light, actually. That's a whole new perspective. I don't think that's going to go on the website. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, yeah, fake it till you make it. Right. But we have... But 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 what it did though was show us give us the sense a sense of confidence around what we could do, right? right? Yeah. Suddenly you're like, well, I just... You know, Brant did the, the the bridge, right? But and he could say, "Look, I just designed a 300-foot span, two-story building, and drove it across the highway at night, and it doesn't look like anything anyone's ever done before in history." You know, so uh, what's next, right? I can pretty yeah. much do whatever you want, right? Um, and it gave us a sense of confidence and courage, and uh, to, or just uh, uh, yeah, just confidence. Yeah. Well, there has to be something too about just having four founders that are roughly the same experience and age or whatever, you know, right? Of like that, that gives you so much of a, of a horsepower, right? But then it's also a lot of cooks starting up a company. One right? correction, we were not the same age. No? Yeah, okay. they were 15 years older than yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, in fact, uh, about eight years after the founding, um, there was kind of a schism uh, just a, different ideas about the way to go forward, and we joked that our parents got a divorce, and mm-hmm. and suddenly Greg and I were thrust into the leadership of the company, and uh, Greg became the CEO, and I became the CFO in name only, because um, we had no idea what we were doing, and um, so that was another tumultuous time. But um, uh, you know, a lot of it was learning. Uh, by doing, you know, yeah, that was, by doing. Yeah, that was really interesting. I'll, I'll just I'll just add because people say I'm often introduced as the K of KONA, right? But now your listeners will know the real story. The 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 K uh, was a really brilliant professor at Stanford University named Helmut Krawinkler, hmm. uh, originally from Austria. Brilliant guy, very you know, in in academic circles, very famous. Um, and so uh, he became a part of our company. Um, he'd worked with Greg Luth. Greg Luth got his PhD under Helmut. And so he was a part of the company. Um, we originally were, we called ourselves the Structural Design Collaborative, which I really dug. It was kind of mm, like the gropiest yeah, thing. Yeah. And it didn't have anyone's name in it, right? Mm-hmm. Totally dug that. Um, but these two really big brainiacs decided they needed to have their names on the firm, right? So it became Crowwinkler Luth and Associates. And then, so the L, yeah. like my last name starts with L, right? Right. And so everyone thinks it's it's us, our, it's us, yeah. but yeah. it's not us. I'm, 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 so we're sharing. You this. guys are yeah. dropping so many bombs on this yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, hot, hot take. Hot take. <laughs> exactly. But we we never have the courage to change the name, <laughs> no. mostly because Brent has stupid ideas for what the name should be. You know, that we couldn't. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Um, 
but so yeah, so we, we, we stuck with that, but but Helmut sort of left early. He didn't really have the stomach for structural design. He was really a true academic. Mm. And then we had this kind of a more of a rough divorce when Greg Luth split off from us, which is really sad because he's a brilliant and extraordinarily talented uh, uh, individual. But the way we're running the business didn't really align. And so he split off to California and you know we thought maybe we'd lose Doug in there as well. But the, um, but the three of us stuck together uh, uh, me and Brent and Doug, and we were sort of the leaders of the firm, you know, at that point going forward. So th- that was a moment. That was 2003. Yeah. Then to answer your question from about 20 minutes ago, uh, about five years ago, we had grown to 60 or 70 by then, mm-hmm. and Doug was uh, slowing down, thinking of retiring. And suddenly, Greg and I were running a 60 person firm, and it was too much. Our heads were blown off. You know, like every what happens when you're running a 60-person firm with two of you is every problem floats to your desk, right, or to your awareness, and so you spend your whole life solving problems and not enjoying why you were doing it in the yeah. first place. So in 2018 or 19, we reorganized and we brought on an executive group and brought uh, six other people up with us, and so now we're trying to all from learn. all from within the firm, by the yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, so now we're trying to learn what does it look like to run an actual 100-person firm, and we're still learning about that. But one of the powers we have is we have 16 principals in our group, and uh, every one of them, with the exception of one who's been with us 10 years, uh, grew up with the firm. So we have a a really strong trust relationship. We have a strong uh, ability to do things and make changes and initiate things and... uh, it's it's our, it's our power is that there's this uh, really committed strong core to the company. Yeah, I mean, just that speaks a lot to culture, right? I mean, to have people stick around that long and was that you know sitting around with the four of you in the beginning? Was there a lot of talk about what's the culture of this place going to be and and what's the vision of it and is it is it what it has become now? You know that that idea of the firm or has it really morphed? I think yes. I and, think it's the same. Yeah. Like the one of the reasons we started working together was uh, we wanted to enjoy ourselves and we wanted to have uh, enjoy our work, enjoy the people we were working with. And it's not that we weren't in our other jobs. Um, it's just that we wanted that autonomy. We mm-hmm. talk a lot about autonomy as a important uh, factor for satisfaction for a knowledge worker, or, you know, design professional for sure. That autonomy is really important. And um, and so that was that is the thread that has gone through the the process. So we have an office in Carbondale because a couple of folks uh, we were doing work with Teague and other folks in the Roaring Fork Valley, and uh, a couple of folks were like, "I'd like to live up there." Yeah, let's do it. Let's open an office there. Uh, and so we're that attitude. I think has really helped. We, we you know we do surveys and we've been voted, you know, one of the top 10 structural engineering firms to work for in the country by Zwag White. Since like 2006. Tw- yeah, like mm. since 2006. It's like, that's not valuable in and of itself other than that it's, an, it's a sign of continuation of concept and, right. and value. So we feel like, you know, making money, that sort of thing is a result of doing the right thing and doing it well and enjoying yourself. If we do all that right, we'll make some money. Um, yeah. There, there, there's many other aspects to our culture too. I mean, 
as Brent said, we started out with an idea for what our firm would be that was different from every other firm. Brent's fond of saying, Denver didn't need another structural engineering firm. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you know, but you know, if you go from Martin, Martin was originally founded as KKBNA, Ketchum, Kunkel, blah, blah, it goes all the way back. In Austin. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then, um, and Milo Ketchum is sort of like the great grandfather of all the structural engineers and uh, in the area, right? Even though uh, Martin Martin has claimed to him, right? But mm. um, but he spun off a, a really rich heritage of, of engineering here. And the town didn't need another one, but we really were, we had a different idea about how it would work, what it would look like. Um, and we were coming at it from this non-traditional way, a forensic engineer, an egghead, and, and a fabricator. Mm. Um, and um, that notion of thinking, well, we're different from everybody else, also is a thread that has um, has gone through, right? There's, we don't feel like we have to be like everybody else. In fact, there's a kind of a, we're required to be a little bit different, mm. right, than, than everybody else in order. So the culture of, of everyone says they're innovators and so on, but the, the culture of really thinking of new ideas, thinking of, new, of better ways to get things done, um, has really uh, has really carried us through, you know, enjoying your work, and part of that is being innovative and being at the top of your game, and uh, and that's really that's really really worked. The other really major aspect that we got directly from both Greg and Doug uh, Rutledge, Greg Luth and Doug Rutledge, was this idea of leaning into the project and um, you know not you know waiting to be asked questions, mm -hmm. not like trying to hide from liability, for example, but lifting your head up out of the foxhole, look around, see what needs to be done, and insert yourself into the process because, uh, you know, you know, bluntly, through Greg's experience with the higher regency, you know, bad stuff happens. And um, we have a social obligation. You, uh, you, uh, given your age, do you know the higher regency? Yeah, okay, yeah. Right. In, in, it's in the Kansas worst, City, yeah, that's yeah, right, the collapse of the, of the bridges. Okay, right, the yeah. worst disaster, in the structural disaster in the history of the United States. Yeah. And um, I don't know what film is, but I know what that head. Yeah, is. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'll facts is? Are. Fact, no, I'll have to we'll Google, Google all this. In, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll Google it. I'll send you a picture. We'll put film. definitions in okay. the, the, the show notes uh, mm -hmm. for everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, carry on. I was just saying, so, so when, you know, what I observed, I observed sitting in meetings with Greg Luth working on some giant project. And he's arguing with the mechanical engineer about how the ductwork should be passing through this, you know. And I'm like, it's none of our, it's none of our right. business, yeah. right? And yeah. he just showed me how, you know. And clients loved him because they knew he was looking out for them, and he was looking out for them. He, that's we really learned how to do engineering from Greg. And, and, uh, and another <clears throat> another story that we use to um, communicate the culture to the younger engineers about engaging with architects is to say, well, ask them what color it is, mm. right? Because like, why should I even care, right? right yeah. But if you, if you know what color it is, then you'll have an insight into what the architect's trying to do, what they're trying to achieve. Mm. And they don't just, you know, even though this is your big deal to span from A to B, that's not what they're thinking about. They're thinking about uh, the building in a whole, with a whole different language, including what color it is, right? right. And so if you get in their minds, and really try to understand, then you can do a better job. So yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, but going beyond your the, your scope or your normal scope, and mm -hmm. so what what's a project that stands out for you guys in terms of like 
how, how you're how you're different, where you were able to really uh, move forward with that idea of innovation, and we're like top of top of your game. Is this a two-hour program? <laughs> well, I would go with the Aspen Art Museum to start with. Yeah, that's well, an unbelievable project. Right. That, um, Again, we probably shouldn't share all the, all the uh, public information yeah, right. about that project. Well, because it is out there. Yeah, we, yeah, we had another one a conversation with CCY about that, and they said, oh, "Let's keep that off, uh, <laughs> so we can edit this again if you want." But, uh, yeah, no. Or, but uh, yeah. Seriously, this art museum, from a structural perspective, is out well. Of let, let me uh, let me technology. let me uh, put that in a, in a, I'm going to put that in a parking lot for a minute and talk mm -hmm. about. I'm going to go to another Aspen project, the music tent that's mm. up there. Mm. It was really formative, right? And it, it just connects to what we were talking about just a minute ago, right? And so, um, so my design team, I'm the engineer of record of the music, Aspen music tent. And my design team was Greg and Doug Rutledge. Those were my... Because uh, yeah, that yeah, was pretty early yeah, on, right? Yeah. When, when, yeah. When so was, I had a yeah. pretty, you know, I didn't have to like do too much managing on that project. But I mean... Um, set the stage about what was happening with the old tent was designed by Aero Saarinen, mm -hmm. right? And uh, no, actually we'd gone, uh, before, it was... Um, it, it was the other Bauhaus It was Saarinen, guy, yeah. yeah, and then, yeah, who's the other Bauhaus guy? Uh, his name was... Um, uh, we'll splice his name right yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah spli spli splice in his name. You know, you know who yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, we had to, uh, they had the last concert of the season. Aspen, did you know, is in the mountains. Herbert Byer. So we had to then disassemble Herbert Byer's tent because we're going to build a new tent on exactly the same site. And, um, uh, and the had, original tent was Saarinen's. The original tent was Saarinen's. And there that was, was a Byer permanent tent. Mm. And, and now, then there's a teak tent. Mm -hmm. right? And no by the way, the, the, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, right. the Harris Concert Hall, also that, that by Harry Teague, which is their indoor concert hall, was designed by Harry Teague and Greg Luth before our firm had mm. started. That was another seminal project for mm. us. So, of course, we're going to design the project. I worked on that project over. using uh, AutoCAD 8, I think, the version 8 of yeah. AutoCAD. So, um, so I learned it. Uh, the, uh, um, but we had to close it down um, and, and build the whole new structure. And, and they already had the scheduled concert for the springtime. Right, so there was no messing around. Right, wow. you know we had to, we had to succeed. We had to build the whole building in one winter season. Right. Did you guys build the steel for that project? I build the. We, were you building it? We didn't at that time. It was uh, two thousand, so the acceptance of that was pretty early. But we did the detailing. We did the steel detailing mm -hmm. of the uh, of the building, and, but which was other, really other things popped up as well that that we talk about an integrated mindset. There was needs on the project. Like, there's four columns in the building. There's a story there too. We we're like, oh, we can. We're great engineers. We can give you no columns. And they're like, no. Bears pretend had columns. Sharon's tent had columns. <laughs> the, the people of Aspen want columns in this spot. And we're like, but he wanted them. All right. Harry wanted them as small as possible. Yeah. Right. So the the columns in that building are 10 inch solid round steel. Solid at wow. the bottom. Solid. I have a little slice in my office that sits there, huh. mm -hmm. weighs forty pounds about this. Uh. And then they get bigger as they go, but they're literally on ball bearings, great big ball bearings, top and bottom, because the whole tent moves. Wow. Right around. So fundamentally unstable. Right. So we 
gave the contractor some guidance and helped and designed an erection uh, bracing system during erection. But uh, my favorite add-on was the vent cones. Tell them about the vent cones. Oh yeah, so at the, at the top of each column, uh, the idea was to have a cone that they could lift up and vent the tent if it got stuffed it up like inside. a ladybug, right? Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sitting in a meeting and um, uh, the pricing came back for these vent cones at like a hundred grand each for, for four of them. And the project architect, John Backman, who was one of my favorite, uh, he's in India building the U.S. Embassy in, in Delhi right now. Um, he said, I can't believe these vent cones cost more than a luxury automobile. That's ridiculous. And so uh, Doug, who was in that meeting, said, I'll do it. We'll build them. We'll build them. And sure enough, he got his dad, who started the fabricating plant, but was now 80 years old, they hired a, a fiberglasser. They built a frame. They they in the garage behind our office. In behind our office, oh. they built these four vent cones and hauled them up and installed them. And he and did it for ninety thousand each, and I think it was it. around <laughs> sixty. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Still, yeah. A but that was our first real design build job, actually. Oh. Yeah. Um, and um, the other thing that was great about that project that I learned, you know, we're so we're only what four or five years into yeah. our business then. But that project had a spirit on it. It had an owner who was really committed to the project. Uh, Shaw was the builder, and they had their best uh, superintendent on the project, who actually, the plan of the building is effectively round. And so uh, the superintendent would have a music stand at the zero zero coordinate in the center of it with his drawings on this music stand. Like mm. he's the conductor mm. of this whole operation, you know. Mm. And, and I would be coordinating with some mason on some wall and inevitably we'd stand back and we'd say, isn't this a great project? What a great project mm -hmm. to work on. And it, it, it just had that vibe. After, after it was done, they had an open house for all the people that had been you know, building it and their families. And you could just listen as everyone went around, whether it was the guy that did the wood stuff on the stage or the molding or the drywalling, whoever you were listening, whoever was talking to his family, they were going, Look at what I did on my project. Look mm -hmm. at my, look at, this is my building. Right? Yeah. Everybody had this ownership, like, I'm so proud of this. It was, it was fantastic. A great story from that project that is all about this idea of relationship and the thread and the, uh, you know, um, and the meaning of community, I would say, is that um, the original seating for the, the, uh, music tent, it's a it's a plot molded plywood seats oh. and they have these cast aluminum frames that the molded plywood sits on. And when they first installed them, they had their first concert, which was uh, like Mahler's Ninth, which used, it uses the most space of any uh, piece. And so it had the full choir, it had the full hundred and some piece orchestra. And, but the seats were too high because the shorter people in the audience, their feet were dangling. And, you know, the, the, the mythical story, whether this is true or not, I don't really know, to be honest with you, but Harry Teague is a huge, tall human being. Right. And this, the story is that he sat on the bench and said, yeah, this is great. And it uh, turns out it was not great. So they, they remade all the aluminum stands, the cast aluminum wow. stands. And for a while in Harry's office, there's all these stands. I was going to say, he got, he got hundreds of seats. Yeah. yeah. So one time I'm working up there and he said, would you, I got 10 of these stands for a guy in Denver and would you mind delivering them to him? And I'm like, 
Sure. And he gave me the guy's card and it was Mickey Zeppelin <laughs> of Zeppelin Development. Right, yeah. And so I went to Mickey's office. This is 2001 or so. And he's out in the middle of what is now taxi, but he's in the original taxi building yeah. with nine acres of empty space, like out in the middle of nowhere. And I pull up with these stands and I give them to him. And he said, oh, hey, I need, would you mind looking at uh, he has a radio tower in that building right, yeah. Uh, yeah, that is not functional, but uh, needed structural uh, observation. You know, the Den city of Denver wanted a certification that this tower huh. was okay. So I started doing that. And sure enough, we, you know, we did taxi too. We did uh, flight and freight and uh, the uh, uh, hotel, you know, the source yeah. hotel and a whole bunch of really fun stuff. And then we got Dina involved, who's a friend of ours from yeah. Jackson Hole. Oh, okay. Wasn't he your first guest ever? You, one, one of them. Yeah, the first, yeah. 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 Uh, He's a great story too, because he, I didn't realize this, but I'm doing projects with Steve in Jackson Hole. And he is such a staunch modernist yeah. that he's struggling. Like, you know, and now if you go to Jackson Hole, all you see is modern work, right? Yeah. He's truly a pioneer up there. But we were doing some amazing stuff together. Yeah, um, but he was like hitting his head on the wall for five years until he oh. got modern project up there. Yeah, it was totally. very, he, it was, and, and he stuck to his guns. <sighs> he's my definition of it. He's just like, this is what I do. This is how I do it. This is my, you know. This is the level of quality and design that I'm looking for. Yeah. And please don't ask me to put a log yeah. in anything. Yeah. But we a, got connected. We got him connected to the Zeppelins. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just this community. Wow. You know, it's just this when, community. You guys are just master connectors. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you, you your know, first two clients, then, the, then your third client. Is well, we used to we used, we used to play the game of the whatever the six degrees of separation. Yeah. But it was it was carny and tea. We would just say whatever. You, you just pick a client and we'd say, okay, let's trace the family tree. Hmm. And how far does it have to go to get back to one of those two? Hmm. And most of them, you know, it's, it's maybe not less, it's less true now after whatever, 27 years. Yeah, but for the probably first, can't connect like, like yeah, Quayville, yeah, maybe, 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 but, but, oh, but well, Brian Como, yeah, there then John Carney, it's a fast connect. There right? you go. So, um, the Kevin Bacon of architecture. Exactly. Of architecture. That's, that's, that's basically what it is. How far do I have to go to get back to Carnegie and, yeah. and So you're like, we work with another one that you interviewed, is Sarah Broughton, mm -hmm. and, you know, for Ron Broughton, right? She started out working for Harry Teague, right? And so we met her there, and, and we're like, wow, you're going to be a star. You're going to take this, take over this firm. And she's like, no, nah, I'm going <laughs> to no. do my own thing. See it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that's um, a good example. So there's, there's lots of those connections. And that's, that's just what's so cool about, yeah, about what you guys do and how you, how you do it with architects, where you get to work with different people and mm -hmm. get to sample things. And it's like, it's, that's like why, one reason I started this podcast, because there's not too much of a reason for me to be able to talk with Harry Teague or mm -hmm. Sarah Broughton. And it's like, I want to work with those guys. I want to yeah. see it. And right. I've done a pretty good job of like, changing firms about every year and trying to work for everybody, but uh, can't, can't really do that. But. I, I did look you up on LinkedIn and saw that you've been- It's a little long, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 For it's, sure. But yeah, that's, 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 that's actually been a, been a blessing, but also you realize there's lots of different kinds of architects out there. Right, yeah. And some are, are fun to work with and some aren't, you know, as you might imagine, right? The thing a lot of people don't realize is that as a consultant, you know, our young engineers, you know, we, our fees, you know, we work on probably eight times the number of projects that a equivalent architect work mm -hmm. on because they have so much more scope. 
to, yeah. de to deal with. So five years in, our young engineers have worked on 50, 60 projects where a young architect may have only worked on six or eight projects. Right, yeah. And so you really do get this wealth and breadth of experience uh, if you're paying attention, you know, if you're, if you're, <laughs> it's been great. Yeah. So yeah, what, what do you guys get excited about with the future and thinking about um, what's next? Um, <laughs> that's there, there's a lot um, um, it's funny I've kind of uh, I'll speak for myself you know um, there's 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 a lot of aspects to that one is we're getting to this point where we can actually see the end of our engagement in this firm mm. from here right mm. I'm not gonna work there until I'm 80 right and there's a whole lot of really awesome young principals that are coming up that are itching to run the firm and we're anxious to let them do it, right? Mm. And so there's a certain amount of excitement just internally around the idea of being, we've always wanted to be a legacy firm. And speaking honestly, Brent and I really are kind of the second generation, given mm. that Doug and, and Greg were, were somewhat older. Um, but to turn it over wholeheartedly to the to the third generation and watch what they can do with it is, is pretty um pretty exciting and you just have to make sure they have the right initials that's the thing that we're struggling with right now. Yeah. My, you can take it over i'm gonna need you to change your name because yeah, yeah, right. my thought on name changing is that you the reason we haven't changed our name is you have to be famous enough like if you know if uh google changes its name to alphabet everyone knows that mm -hmm. but if klna changes its name to Flange. Flange or whatever. <laughs> you know, they're like, well, what happened to KLNA? There's who's this new new firm in town, right? Yeah. And so we haven't changed it because we're, we're not still working now. on well, building yeah, brand to build that up so right. so long, right? Yeah. The other thing that I think is really unique about us is we started uh, widespread ownership from almost the very beginning. Starting in two thousand, we had eight owners at that time. We only had fifteen people in the company. Today we have about 110 employees and 68 of them are owners of the company. Mm. Uh, we offer ownership within three, two to three years uh, for a person who's, you know, player, let's say, for lack of a better word. Um, and so that has allowed us to have this principal group that's been around because they've been owners for a decade, for a decade mm -hmm. before they become a principal of the firm. And uh, that gives us this excitement for the legacy firm where we're not just saying a legacy firm as two people who own a company. We're saying we're a legacy firm as two of 67 people who mm. own the company. And honestly, I think I can speak for Greg as well as uh, as low as it was five years ago when we were everything was our problem. You know, I'm more excited now about the future than ever. Uh, Greg is doing some amazing groundbreaking work in uh, embodied carbon and um, and mass timber and all that kind of stuff. So um, and then I think the other place that's exciting that seems less uh, easy to point at as innovation is the way we run a firm, which is uh, we're trying to give deliver that same experience to our staff that we experience. This autonomy, this we call it autonomy, mastery, and purpose. It's a Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek uh, mantra for a knowledge worker. For a knowledge worker to be satisfied, they have to have autonomy, mastery of the work they do, and a purpose for doing the work. And we try, we're trying to deliver that to the younger staff, to everyone, uh, as a 
uh, as a as a business model, basically. Uh, and you know, to the extent we're successful in that, it makes it a great place to work and a great place for people to spend a career. It doesn't fit everyone. We're not 100% successful with it, um, but. You know, that's the innovation in terms of the business model. It's not a machine where cogs come in and cogs go. Yeah, which well, it's, it's got to take a lot, of, lot, a lot of trust and a lot of sort of that mid-level leadership to be able to offer as many people as you can that autonomy, right, and mm-hmm. that, that trust to them. And um, yeah, I won't name any names, but we've seen a number of you know architectural firms that don't you know haven't either thought about it as deeply as we have or haven't bought into it in the way that we have. Um, and they want to sort of maintain ownership, right, mm-hmm. all the way to the end. And then they get to the end and you're like, okay, who's got a million bucks wants to buy my firm? Yeah, Answer, no right. one, right? Yeah. And What do yeah. I get for that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Some old computers? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly, right? Yeah, and and some blue sky, right? right. You know, and so um, whereas uh, one of the things that we've done that Doug taught us, to be honest, is if you want if you want to build that, you have to share in the wealth, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can't keep it all for yourself. And that's why we have 68 owners mm-hmm. who all get a portion of, you know, um, the profits that we make and, and participate in the shareholder meetings and help drive decisions of the, of the company. Um, and having been willing to give that up has created this wealth. Um, and by that, I mean culture, not just, not just uh, financial wealth. Um, it's been fine financially. We do fine, but um, but the culture is rich. Yeah. So, uh, since Brent mentioned it, though, I, I can't not mention that my excitement about um, our ability to, uh, as engineers, to influence sustainability. Finally, after all these years, when when you're, you know everyone is trying to do lead in net zero buildings, and you're like, come on, we're going to have an exciting <laughs> kickoff meeting, and you'd be like, yeah, let's go, and then you'd be like, we can um, we can um, use some fly ash like we <laughs> normally do in every building anyway. Yeah. How about that? That'd be innovative, we, right? You know, paint our steel green. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, ask me what color it is. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> we can. We can. Yeah, it's green, yeah. right? We can. We can make up some stories about how green stuff is. You know. But now suddenly there's a there's some real math behind the sense of urgency that we have to change the carbon footprint of our buildings, and um, and suddenly come to realize that the 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 footprint I mean because of how well our architects have done and mechanical engineers and the whole building industry to drive operational carbon to near zero, which is amazing i think you guys and by you guys i mean your whole profession have done the most amazing thing over the last Mm. 30 years to drive that down but all it did was then shine the spotlight that we haven't done anything right and so the uh, operational carbon um is tiny compared to the embodied carbon over the almost the whole building life at this point Right, right so thanks to your good work suddenly it's on us now to have an impact in a hurry faster than we ever have before, right? And it's pretty much all our stuff. Most of it is in the structure, right? There's some in the building envelope and things like that as well, you know, um, but we we have a big piece of it and an enormous responsibility. And we've taken it really, really seriously. We started a whole team we call Team Carbon and at KLNA that is wholly focused on this problem. Um, and it kind of, in a sense, it grew out of the, a little bit out of the mass timber work, which started earlier than that. But, you know, 
you hang around mass timber people long enough, you're going to hear the embodied carbon story over and over, or the sequestered carbon story mm-hmm. over and over. So that's clearly um, a, a, a really big tool in our belt. So those things are really exciting. I mean, the amount of work that we're getting in both of those areas is just accelerating exponentially because of the need, because of interest, and it's it's really exciting to have to have done the homework and put the put the work in since 2009. Well, we've been building the heavy timber building since your first job ever with John Carney yeah. with heavy timber building. But but to get into the, the mass timber as we know it today is the building that we're in. Um, uh, you know, we've done the homework and it's really, it's paying off and everyone in the firm is really excited by it. Yeah. So, th- so this column that you think is wood colored is actually colored green. <laughs> We're, just looks wood color. We're, we're knocking on, yeah, knocking on this column behind us, yeah. this wood column. Uh, Mass timber column. Yeah. I want to point out to you, if you can see that it's laminated in two directions, I'm going to nerd out for a minute. Yeah. It's all made of one by twos. I mean, this is all made of trees that were smaller than nine uh-huh. inches in diameter, fast growth trees in northern Quebec. So, wow. um, so this is, you know, from a sustainably um, uh, uh, managed forest. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Get out of the way. <laughs> no, you're, you're supposed to be in the picture. In fact, every so, member in this building yeah. is made from these one by two yeah. uh, pieces of wood. It's all made, all made uh, from small Fast stuff. growing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sustainably harvested material. Like, uh, you know, like all the building in this building, I don't know the real number, but it's so small it doesn't even matter, right? Well, we're in the, the firm that built this is called, uh, makes this material is called Nordic. And they have a, a forest in Shibugamu, <laughs> which is Quebecian for where the moose go to mate. It's way, way north. That's um, just what they tell Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they tell me. That's what they tell everybody. Yeah, that's what they tell me. But, you know, you, they, we flew up there, right? And it's just forest, forest, and, it, and, and they own this ch- chunk of it. And in their own forest, you know they could re they regrow you know uh, all the all the wood that's in this building really in the matter of of a couple of days you know at the most really yeah it's just just a couple of days to regenerate it looks like it's just solid that wood where but this this amount of volume of timber is nothing wow. compared to what they grow huh so it's just a little it's a speck yeah yeah so. it seems to just make so much sense and it's 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 great that it's like coming here you know buildings are being built and like mm-hmm. more and more interest and yeah so yeah that's one of the things i'm excited about in the future There's, that's just growing like crazy yeah well you know um again just thanks for coming on here and talking to a, a young a young guy here doesn't even know what film is and, <laughs> and uh it has no reason to talk to you guys uh, normally, but uh, I just, yeah, you know, I've, I've worked on a few projects with KLNA and, and uh, yeah, you just seem like you're the, the gold standard and um, it's great to hear this sort of insight into the firm of, of how that, especially like where I'm at, of thinking about sort of projecting firm culture years years beyond when it's only two people twiddling our thumbs mm-hmm. in a, our living rooms and, and thinking about how that actually can come to fruition and um, in, in that that sense of good culture um, and just, just how, uh, uh, yeah, just ha- how, uh, how into architecture and the, the, the overall picture you are is inspiring. So thanks. Thanks for coming on and sharing the story. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. It's been Absolutely. really great. Really enjoyed it.
You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Hi, I'm Eli. This show is made by my mom and dad and these people. Heidi Mendoza. Aaron Best. Kyle Brunner. Emily Child. Trevor Notzko. Zach Huff. Rob Cleary. All right, let's get a coffee. See ya. Cool. All right, now we just hang out. <laughs> now the pressure's off. God, well, that's, that's I would, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. In your in your um in your own adventure, I've you know I've have some insights because I've listened to so many of your podcasts. Not all of them, but certainly everyone that's that's a client of ours. I've I've heard I think, but um, but I know that you've started your own firm. And uh, my my own advice is, pick your first partner carefully. Like the measure of our success, not to get all choked up here but it's because we picked each other mm. right um or he picked me he wooed me right mm-hmm. i was i was the one that really made it all work but um, we actually needed an engineer in the company because <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we're an engineering company yeah. but our but our talents are our yin yang kind of talents right yeah um he uh, brant is someone that gets stuff done he gets stuff done in a hurry he's been a visionary since the beginning he knows where we're going, and the minute he thinks about it, he starts working on it. And I, I'm a guy that is sits back and scratches my head a little bit and thinks it all the way through. I'm mm. kind of the detail guy. For a long time, I described myself as the Eeyore of the group. I was just like <laughs> the one guy who was like, oh, that'll never work. Yeah. Um, you need more comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I never was like no, that no, way, no, but, no, as no, a, no. but as a, not, not in terms of the engineering, but in mm. terms of how to run the business. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we should hire 10 more people. I'm like, oh, that's gonna be hard, right? You know, yeah. Brent's like, come on, let's just do it, right? We used to sit in Woody's Pizza going, you know, someday we could be, I don't know, huge, like six, I mean, <laughs> like six, I'll get out of here, right? That's, you know. That's too three, many. That's three times as big as we are, right? There's no way. <laughs> that's how I feel right now. <laughs> three sounds like a lot, yeah. 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 Uh, but pick, care, pick carefully, because yeah. your next hire will have everything to do with that's with, still, with yeah. how it goes, I think that, that matters. Was that was that pretty apparent, like right on? You you know that your differences, like I find, like with me and my partner, he's he's extremely talented, uh, and we kind of picked each other for that. And then it, it then the things we're doing, it's all pretty much the same. And so we're having troubles, kind of like identifying lanes and like kind of figuring out, mm-hmm. like oh, you know, how are we not just overlapping, and what are your skills and my skills, and you know. What for you? Did you guys go through that as well? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, there's we, a lot of chaos involved. I yeah, mean, just a lot of. Um, I think. And when and when yeah. we started, we had no lanes. We were no. both for a very short period of time. We would work on the same projects together, and then it became pretty clear that you know, um, you know. I'm not going to say that. I mean, it was always a joy. It was really fun. But let's just say we didn't have to. We had enough work yeah. that that you know, I, I could I could do my own thing and Brand could do his own thing, and you know, and pretty quickly we had a third and a fourth, you know, in in the office. So things sort of split up a little bit, you know. But mm-hmm. there was always sort of transitions. Brent built all the relationships up in Jackson, and he kind of introduced me to everybody up there. And then there was sort of a a slow change over time and then pretty soon I noticed I was going to Jackson more than he was and 
that's since happened to another generation and another generation after that in mm. terms of who's managing those clients. But we did the same thing for a long time. It wasn't until 2003 that we said, you're the CFO. Mm. And then we, that was again, as Brent said, in name only mm -hmm. until we figured it out. And it wasn't until like 2019 that we're like, all right, let's get serious. You know, here's what the CFO does. Here's what our chief of, you know, business operations does. All right, here's what our chief of construction operations, chief of engineering operations. They all now have, like, lanes. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I just, the, gotta, I just have to wait 25 years. Yeah. 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 And then it'll be fine. No, yeah. but the idea of role definition, I think, is it, we could have done that sooner. You know. But um, that, that well, there's roles, but there's also the part that, when I started talking about it, it was really about our work styles, mm -hmm. the kind of people mm -hmm. that we are. And we've put a certain amount of energy into that too, um, going back to when did we first attend impact management and they mm. used yeah. the DISC system to, the, of work style or personality strength style kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And strength finders, those kinds of, we find that kind of work is really important to really dig into, I mean, to get personal and dig into like what makes you tick. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, to do Dude, that an early. An example of that is that um, you know, Greg is uh, a creative, which means that he's very detail-oriented, um, and he needs time to think about what he's doing. Mm. And uh, and I'm more of a a, a thinker, you know, a, an idea guy. And so what I learned quickly is I was spouting all these ideas, and after a while, people were like, "Enough with the freaking ideas!" You know, like like let's get something. You know, so I've learned over the years that. I need to have a. I need to wait till it's a really good idea, mm -hmm. and then I need to do the work to implement to know how to implement it before I'm able to roll it out. Because I'm thinking out loud with these ideas, and these guys are like, "That's too much, too right. much noise." For like a detail-oriented person, yeah. trying to mm -hmm. figure everything out as you're saying it, and yeah. And on the other hand, we got this project. Um, you know, going the other direction, we got this art museum in Aspen that is the most technically challenging project. I mean, I worked on the archway monument and these kind of things but the technical challenge in that building which doesn't look like it when you're in it was is out, out of this world and we this was in 2014 it was, finished, it was finished in 2014 so we decided our ceo needed to buckle down and focus on that project so he stopped being this stopped being the ceo for a while because we needed that detail-oriented brain big brain on that project or we were going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah. And, you know, he flew to Switzerland and worked with Swiss engineers on it. And, flew and, to Paris to meet with Chicago I mean, and all those. There, you know, in yeah. fact, it, it transcends, like it so transcends building code concept that the city of Aspen was finally like, you just tell us if it's okay or not. Yeah. You know, we, we trust that your stamp means yeah. that you think it's okay because we can't check it. There's no way to check that building. I'm, yeah, I'm here to tell you it would never have gotten built in Denver, ever, ever. Or, or any other respectable city, right, <laughs> you know, that actually has, I mean, and, I mean, I'm not trying well, to yeah, bash right, the, right. the Aspen Building Department, but, but in fact, they were like, we've been working with you since 1995. Right. We know you, Greg. If you say it works, then we say it works, right? Yeah. Um, and, but, but there ain't nothing in any code about it. So, so that's a, that's an I would not have been successful on that project at all. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a it's a example of just respecting what people's strengths are and um, and trying to build your roles and your company to um, 
to utilize strengths and not offset weakness. Right. Yeah. That's the hard part, right? Because we all have weaknesses. Yeah. And we like to focus on them, and we like to be annoyed by other people's weaknesses. And if you can get over that and focus on strengths and maybe hire into the weaknesses, uh, that I think has been a really positive thing for us. Yeah. All, all that is also like, like we're advice. really good friends and yeah. you know we trust each other implicitly and that's huge that's like through thick and thin you know we're in fact um you know when we saw the troubles <laughs> the troubles when our parents were get fighting a lot we looked at each other and said we need jobs right so we started running our business in golden as if it was going to be a separate company mm. and uh started thinking about marketing and how do we do this and it helped us sort of become uh, grown-ups grown-ups yeah exactly yeah. and it, it never came to that we've always stayed we you know Greg split Greg Luth split off in California but we kept all the Colorado operations together and um, so that never happened but the thinking about that definitely helped us you know and so this there's this trust level that like you know we've struggled um, recently with are we too you know aligned and close in order to have a successful transition to the next mm -hmm. generation mm -hmm. because there's still a lot of decisions where you know the next generation is looking to us and saying what do you guys want us to do and we'll do it or what do you think and um we've really come to the conclusion that it's a strength of our company that we're such good friends and that we get along so well and we're complementary and we're not going to mess that up just because there's an idea that that you know that there's that that's too enclosed, right? Right. We're we're conscious that it's difficult to get into this niche or this clique of yeah. Greg and Brand. We're conscious that we're doing our best to be inclusive, uh, but also not dilute the power of that clique. If that right. makes sense, it's hard to describe it. But but it also has to be. I mean, if if most of the people have been there essentially from the beginnings of their career, you know, like mm -hmm. there's those other relationships that are, have grown over 10, 15, 20 mm -hmm. years, right? That yeah, um, Brandon Greg's, but it's true. Yeah, well, it's and, true, and, and they've developed within the firm that way. And honestly, because they know Greg's looking out for them, right? They know their CEO has their best interests at heart, and he does. And so they trust him to do the right thing for uh, for the company and for the, the staff. You know, but, I mean, it, it's uh, uh, he's a really well liked leader of our organization. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Now, now I can't. I can't stop me normally. Now I can't think of anything to say. Right? You know what I'm saying? Keep going. But, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I was. I was going to say that it's interesting. This notion of you know um, this old friendship, though. But it's again, I think both of us have our own ways of being really annoying, both to one another and also to the other people in the company. But but the level of trust that we have is such that you're like, oh yeah, that's that thing Brandt does. But you know, here's this here's this enormous strength. That come, I mean, actually, Brandt gave it the best example of it is you know ideating like crazy all over the place until the, those of us that just can't think that fast would just be going, you know, I don't know, I can't deal with this anymore. Everyone else is freaking out, right? But he, um, uh, but I I totally roll with it now. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's Brandt doing the brand thing. Can, then you yeah. also realize that if you look at it from a strength-based approach is that people need to bring those strengths to the team because they're not 
uh, prevalent in other people. So if I'm a if I think futuristically naturally and no one else does, then I need to bring that skill in. I'm not detail oriented, so I need to bring other people in to be detail oriented because that's their strength. So people bring their strengths to make a whole uh, is a really powerful concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think we're like struggling, or it's mo mostly me of like, I did the, the smart thing of partnering up with somebody who's better than me, yeah. but then not getting- Hey, me too. But not getting, <laughs> but not getting uh, 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 scared or whatever that, of his strengths, you know, of, of totally of like, man, I, I mm -hmm. suck at detail. I'm not detail oriented. I'm not. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh no, that that's his. Yeah, yeah. take it. And that's why I partnered with you. And, right. And um, there's, you know, I don't know. There's there's so many differences though too. The the act of design and architecture is such a deeply personal yeah. thing and very emotionally, you know, connected. Yeah. Right. So you're wrestling around in mud that we can just like. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to walk around that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, we're here on the edge until you're done. Yeah. 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 Can you wash off before you come over here? <laughs> like, phew. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. I mean, don't, don't give us a blank sheet of paper. We'll, yeah. we'll freak. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I can't. I can't deal with that. Not interested. Yeah. But I know how to. I know how but to react. Give us a problem to solve or a, a way to help. Or, or that's what we mm -hmm. love to do. It's a service. I mean, it's not dissimilar to architecture because you're also a service or uh, industry, right? Right. But we're uh, only a service industry in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, like the the product is intangible. The the you know the value is is intangible, and so you know the meaning in the work is is has to be there. You have to feel it. Yeah, really have to. You can't see it, although. I take that back because we're sitting in an example of it, right? Right, yeah. I mean, we're sitting in an example of, of this is why it's so great to be in this industry, is is this kind of thing, this kind of thing, yeah. this kind of thing. He's I mean, waving to both of us. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the relationships yeah. are phenomenal. The This is the most satisfying career, I think. I mean, not structural engineering, but building. Building mm -hmm. buildings, being in our industry is, is just inherently a really satisfying thing to do. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I always remember remember, moment, remember right. a moment when I was um, used to spend a lot of time in uh, CLB's office in Jackson, and and um, at one point we were sitting around a conference table like this, and every everyone was grousing about something. I don't know why we were all in a mood, right? And Eric Logan came in. He's now like the senior partner, and he looked around and he's like. Guys, hello. What we do is fun, yeah, you know. And he just really browbeat us. He's yeah. like, "Who gets to do this? Who gets to draw pictures and turn it into reality? Who gets to make people?" You know, I mean, he just lectured us. But yeah. the, for me, I didn't have to hear anything past what we do is fun, right? You know, because it is. We, we yeah. saw your question about um, did we ever think of leaving the industry? Mm. It's like no, mm -hmm. no. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, no. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna ask about that because, like, it seems like in this position of where I'm interviewing some people who have become principals or whatever, and they get to that spot, and then they're like, "I don't get to do what I love anymore." You know, I'm just managing. I'm not mm -hmm. doing it, and so they're they're at the point where they're trying to figure out how to get back to what they love and how to kind of step back. It seems seems like you guys did that maybe kind of more in 2018, 19 with that. Um, um, 
but but did it get to a, a big point where you you weren't really able to be doing the the sort of engineering and the the hands-on stuff that definitely yeah yeah the that um, I can relate to that. I totally, I totally relate, can too. I, I can totally relate to that. There's no question that that's a thing. That's a very real thing. Um, but at the same time, there's there's other layers of things happening. First of all, like you hired, you know, your your partner is someone smarter than you. Well, that's how I feel about most of the people that we've hired underneath us, right? And they'll come to me and say, "Oh, I'd like your ideas on this analysis," and I'm like, on the outside, I'm going, mm, "No, did you consider?" Uh, a roll, you know, rolling shear over here. Shoot the and in, yeah, yeah. And in, in my mind, I'm going, oh my God, I can't believe how beautiful this analysis. I could never have done that, right? right? You know, they're, you're so talented. And then, um, so there's that. And then there's also, and this is going to sound cheesy, but the, it's actually um, joyful, you know, for me to uh, to sh allow to create a place for other people to flourish. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's actually fundamentally rewarding. In and of itself, I mean, it's different than designing buildings, but it's fundamentally rewarding. And I, I don't have any children, so I can't use up those emotions on my my kids. Um, so the the young engineers are the ones yeah, that yeah. that I'm just like, you go, man, go. And it's it's it's, it's well, it's a whole it, other design problem, right? Like yeah. every day of how do you design this firm or right. business or yeah, you know, and when like we've had we had two experiences in the last 24 hours that. One was we were at Meow Wolf yesterday because uh, the steel industry was having, they call it Steel Day, and they had an event at Meow Wolf, and we were the structural engineers on Meow Wolf. Right, and yeah. we presented and builders. Yeah. We, yeah. And yeah, we, we were going to meet there, but there's no quiet space. <laughs> yeah, there is no quiet space. <laughs> um, yeah, and we were the builders of that. So that, there's an acknowledgement that our business model is the right model, works well. Um, we built it, so we're presenting dan craig is representing shears adkins daniel craig is at the Again, craig, yeah, yeah. Right. famous people were famous, there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and i'm in the crowd with a hundred people and i was thinking like you know 20 years ago i would be standing in the crowd going man i wish i could have a firm mm. that could stand up there and give talks like that you know and here we are standing there in the crowd and my firm is talking up there uh john yuhan sean franklin who and, was the builder? And honestly, this this conversation really, really happened. I was telling Brand, I'm having to remind people that when we first got that project, Andy Rockmore called me directly and said, "Look, no one can do this project but you. You're the man. You're the gold standard. You're the everything." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I sure am. Yeah." And I went to meeting one, and then I went to meeting two, and then I said, "Hey, John, you want to work with this?" And and, and he said, "Yeah, this is really great." They didn't need me anymore, right? So everyone that stand up on that stage was not me. But it was equally rewarding, you know what I mean? It, yeah. was, it was extremely rewarding to have created that space. It's funny you say that though, because like three years in, you were standing in the Aspen. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then the second event is that our detailing, there's a competition for de where detailers, kind of like the AI awards, you know, the honor awards, those kind of things for detailing uh, and our uh, detailing group won the grand conceptor, the biggest award in the nation for detailers. Uh, we just heard yesterday mm -hmm. for a, a museum. For the Joslin Museum in, in, in Nebraska. I can't remember the architect right now, sorry. Um, huh. and, and, so and like, they won it the previous year for Meow Wolf, and they won it the previous year for the U.S. Yeah. Olympic Museum. Wow, yeah. Right, so they are yeah. so arguably, I think, the finest detailing group in the country, for sure, maybe the world, because yeah. we're pretty good at it. And mm -hmm. You know that just is amazing. Like I'm, I'm amazed because I had nothing to do with that. 
Right. It's one yeah. of those things that people talk about, like 3D modeling and running CNC machines and this amazing new world of, of, of what is it, VDC, virtual design and construction. It's got, it's got an acronym now, right? And we're like, is that what we've been doing since 1995? <laughs> yeah, since Vin Yeah, comes. I'm pretty since sure. Yeah, yeah, pretty sure we've been doing that for 27 yeah, yeah, yeah. years. Is this is it new now? It looks like it. It has different goggles. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. For me, the transition happened. Like we all joke, but I really was the best AutoCAD operator in the company for many, many years. I was <laughs> so fast. So you'd be sitting there working. The thing I loved about AutoCAD was that you're working Greg's on. Greg's pointing at himself. <laughs> this is just this is just an audio. Uh, yeah. thing, so I, have to, I have to narrate uh, what's actually going on here. But so what I loved about AutoCAD is you'd be thinking engineering thoughts, but they would show up on the screen because it was so seamless. Because the work you were doing on the screen was actually the communication to the outside world like drawing on a piece of paper is mm-hmm. a communication. Now when we went to Revit and started building models, there's another step to the communication. Yeah, so really you're building the model and then you're taking sections of it or whatever, putting on paper and the direct connection isn't the same in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so when we transitioned, thanks to Greg's vision, quotes, yeah, air quotes, yeah. that we would be early adopters of Revit and we were like 2012 or and I'd never adopted Revit. So I, I lost, so I lost the ability to be productive in the model space. And, um, and so that sort of forced me to uh, become a manager of the company to think about how we're running the company and all this stuff that is probably harder for people who still have the productive capability. Like I just didn't have the productive capability. It's actually, it, it's, I hadn't um, thought about it that way in a long time, but that was the seminal moment because when we first started, one of the big deals that we used to tell everybody, and now it's not a big deal, um, was that in 1994, we were telling people, we don't have a drafting department, yeah. right? Every engineer draws what they design. We're doing and, that, yeah. and we see this as a key mental connection that we can't, you can't pull apart the drawing of it and the designing of it. And we were like, here's a post-it, do all your calculations on that post-it while you're making it work because that's the calculations are just to prove what mm. what you put together right and uh and all of us were super proud of that including me and brant who fight over who was the better cat operator right um it, i was well, yeah. you, you just switched over to revit so you'd still be faster than him <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah but i also didn't learn revit mm. right um and so suddenly suddenly we were literally out of the club right we couldn't and the people in the firm were like, good, please run the firm. We need somebody yeah. to run the firm. Would you not draw details? Because it's fun drawing details. Right. It really is fun. Yeah. It's such a strange profession, right? Where you start with four guys, you do the things you're good at. The bigger and more successful you get, the further away from the things, doing the things that, are, that, that you yeah, it's started. Called, it's called of. the Peter Principle. You know, yeah. you're, you're, there's a book that came out with the 60s or 70s. It was just like, you get promoted to the level of your incompetence. Uh, and that's where you, and right. that's where you stop. Yeah. When you finally get to the point where you, where you really are terrible at your job, <laughs> that's where you stop. Yeah. So. I mean, luckily I, we found running a company or running, running a business, you know, not just a business, but the industry to be very interesting also. It is really interesting. Right, yeah. It's it's always new and different. We're always working with different people. Um, you know, it, uh, there are things that are interesting about uh, the profession besides designing buildings. But Doug, you know, used, design Doug buildings. used to say, 
I like building things. And you're like, of course you do. He goes, like, no, I build, build I build buildings. I build businesses. Mm -hmm. I build people up. I build teams. I build vent cones in the garage. You know, and it was all the same. It's all the same. It's like you're saying, like when it's when it's sort of that design problem of you can extrapolate it to a lot of different things, right? Mm -hmm. Of a detail, of a building, of a business, of a relationship, or Mm -hmm. how how someone's developing. How do you develop people? How do you how do you do quality assurance? How do you do all that stuff are, are really design problems. Yeah. Well, I mean, what it, the other thing that's happening now with our with our size though is that you're realizing everything has to be more intentional than it had to be when you know when you're when you're really a young firm. Communication in the firm happens because you go, "Hey, Brant," you know, because he's sitting ten feet away, right? Yeah. Or even when there's a dozen people in the firm, it doesn't have to end. There's just this soup of activity and everybody hears what's going on and participating with another, you know, and, but now suddenly there's, we're, I think 120, I think, you know, right now. Um, and you have to really think about what you're communicating to who and when and who you keep in the loop and who you don't. And um, so it's a, it's a very, very different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think the, the, our next generation will be way better at it than we are. We're yeah. good at the soup part and not so good at the, you know, big corporation part. Yeah, because it's it's um, a fact that you get, it's the, maybe that Peter Principle idea again. but Yeah, and the, the business model isn't necessarily like set up for that, right? It's, it's like, it's a service industry. I get clients, I do the work, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's not like a... Totally. A true kind of business plan or a mm-hmm. product or, yeah. Because what do you want built? You know, whatever you're building, I want to work on, right? That's, yeah. that's kind of how it yeah. goes, right? Mm-hmm. I'm good at design. Yeah. Hire me. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially we we do a lot of multifamily because Denver does a lot of multifamily and we got really good at it. And now we're, you know, I think we're as good as anyone at multifamily, mixed use multifamily work. Uh, but it wasn't, uh, and I think it's very satisfying work because we're housing people, you know, mm-hmm. it has a, it has a satisfaction. But we didn't have a strategic plan where we said, oh, a bunch of people are going to move to Denver. Let's start doing some multi, let's get good at multifamily. Right. It was clients we were working with were like, we have this multifamily project. Yeah, we're going to do it. Zeppelin, for example, started doing some multifamily along with the office buildings they were doing. Right, yeah. There's other learned how to do there's it. other interesting paths through that over time. Then you start developing a consciousness of sustainability as a moral and ethical obligation. And you're like, what am I doing? Right? We're right. putting snow melt in entire driveways and the amount of energy they're using to make sure they don't have to shovel their driveway, you know, could feed it, you know, or could heat a town. Um, and, um, so how did you yeah, reconcile that? The, oh, I haven't yet. I, 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 I still, I'm, just question. I'm still a complete hoarder. Because, because, <laughs> yeah, because, because, because some of those houses are so beautiful, right? You, right. Yeah. You, you, I mean, the work we do with like CCY, oh my God, I'm so proud of that, of that work. And it's, um, and they're so good at it. And, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's fantastic to be involved in that. But at the same time, I'm also working now on, um, a project, you know, to um, optimize like warehouse structures. Mm. I mean, I don't know what you're thinking about. I'm thinking, but it's the idea is to figure out how to make them out of mass timber, right? There's mm-hmm. a there's a cost uh, impediment. So how can we improve the embodied carbon footprint of these giant Amazon warehouses that are being built all over the place? Mm-hmm. 
So you also, so on the one hand, he's not doing it, Walmart. He's doing Amazon. Yeah, 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 right. But but both of those have some ethical issues with them, right? You know, there's good and bad. One's really beautiful, right. you know. Uh, one less beautiful, but yeah. And so there's all there's all that confusion that can keep you up at night for yeah. quite. It's it's hard to pick the perfect project, right. right? One of our slogans since the beginning of the company is embrace ambiguity. <laughs> <laughs> You need to be able to embrace ambiguity. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And that frustrates Igor. Igor, Igor. Igor, hates that. Tell me what. Yeah. I, yeah. I love it. I love ambiguity. Right. You know, I I'm able to rationalize anything. Typical engineers are very want to be linear. It's so crazy to watch, especially young engineers that haven't figured out how you guys think. And... I haven't figured that out either. I just know it's wacko, right? And you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta figure out, you gotta dance with the nonlinear process of it, right? Um, and and embrace it, right? And just really, really roll with it because it's how good work gets done. Yeah, right? yeah. Get surprised. You get get surprised, right? <laughs> well, are you on a time cool. scale? Is... I think you do a really great thing. Yeah. It's really um, one of your questions had to do with. Uh, local community yeah, and yeah. Dancing, but I think you're doing as good a thing as anyone could do right mm-hmm. uh, right now in terms of just providing this place where we can all listen to each other talk and and figure out what's where we grew up and what it's all about yeah um, you're doing an amazing thing it's really good oh, thanks thanks for that yeah there's, there's an aspect of Denver's market that is very um, close and very related and um, you know, I don't. I, I haven't worked in a lot of other markets, but I feel like it's different here. Where, uh, you know, um, the recent phenomena, for example, of uh, a lot of the homegrown architecture firms are being purchased by large national firms, right. is not my favorite movement. But um, yeah. there's still a strong local connection in many of these uh, major firms, and there's still some great local architectures. Atkins is a local, yeah. you know. Uh, really, AMD AMD is another AMD one. Is another one uh, Hanging and, on tight, and, trying to survive. And the consulting group is similar, where most of the uh, consulting firms that are, you know, successful, large and successful here in Denver, are local firms that work with our. You know, we have a strong technical uh, reputation in Denver. Um, it's known as a good, uh, you know, a good market for engineering and architecture. Um, and it's a close community. It's it's really, uh, I feel blessed that I was born here. I was raised here. I got to go to school here. I had to flee when the economy crashed in the 80s, but I came back and met, you know, got up with uh, uh, Greg and I got this thing going. We happened to be in the right time for Denver's economy and, you know, the change of Denver from the 80s to now is just phenomenal right it's an amazing place denver's future you know my my personal theory is that you know i have i have a uh on my wall i have a old Rand mcnally map of the united states and if you look at it denver's not even listed like they have it's a map of the united states and denver isn't get a you know kansas city's on there salt lake's on there st louis and they're all about the same size but if you look at the future uh, there's going to there's Chicago for sure, and then you go all the way to the West Coast to San Francisco, L.A., great cities, Portland, Seattle. 
what's going to happen is Denver's going to be the one in the middle. Right. That is, you know, the font is going to be the same size as Chicago and San Francisco. And, mm-hmm. and we're, we are and are heading toward being a regional powerhouse uh, community, I believe. Yeah. And um, that's what the future looks like. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm someone your age, this is a great place to be. Yeah. If you're thinking about a 20, 30-year run. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.